Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Com Report. Wherever you get your podcasts, you watch it on YouTube. You know the deal. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. And don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. Also, don't forget, Bram Weinstein, the voice of the commanders, and I will be back Tuesday night, 7.30 Eastern Time, with another live stream edition of the show. It's a Therapy Tuesday, folks, and there's a lot of a lot of bills are piling up for those ther- Therapy Tuesday sessions. And just Bram and I chatting it out, and you guys bringing some of your questions and comments, and, and we go from there. So anyway, join us for that. Um, in a minute, I'm going to do my little film review. And just a, it's not going to be as comprehensive um, in some ways as some of the other ones. Be honest, folks, coming off the red eye is kind of tough. And it's a little bit later on Monday night when I'm taping this. And it's sometimes hard to get through all the film after the red eye because you're coming off about an hour or two sleep and then you go right to work. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep your eyes open. And it's funny because a few years ago, I wrote a story, I think it was in 2018, about how do coaches stay awake when they're watching all this film later in the day, late at night. And I wondered that because I because I'd be sitting in my office at some of these games, you're like, you, it's just hard and you need another cup of coffee or something around two or three. And how do you do that? And I'm like, well, they're not superhuman. They're, they're not. So it led me to ask a bunch of them. And it was kind of a fun story. Unfortunately, it ran later in the 2018 year when things started to go awry. And it, you know, but it was, I enjoyed doing it because it's, how do you do it? Because, you know, some people, I mean, shoot, when Joe Gibbs was here, um, he's ate a lot of candy. I think it gives you that those sugar rushes. Um, sometimes guys take naps during the day. Some guys will, uh, some guys drink a lot of caffeine, whether it's coffee, Diet Cokes, whatever. Uh, others do, would do t- chewing tobacco. And, you know, there's others would stand at their desk when they're watching film for they, so they wouldn't fall asleep. So there's all sorts of tricks and trade tricks of the trade for that. But it all started because like I'd be watching film on, after some of these red eyes. I'm like, how? there's no way that they're much different than I am with this because they're they're working a ton. They're not getting a lot of sleep. And so it's just natural. And even one coach told me that there were times where he would doze off and miss a few plays. Now, he would go back and watch what he missed, but he did miss a couple initially. And then you have to go back. So you kind of do that sometimes too, which I do um, as well. Sometimes, not all the time. But today was kind of tough. Because again, those red eyes are kind of brutal. Um, so oh, and before before I get to the the um some of the film review, and again, I'm gonna be doing fourth quarter of Sam Howell and then some of the running back stuff with the reception with all the receptions. Was that planned? How much of it was by design? Not a lot. 
and how much of it was an evolution of Sam Howell. And then some just some good running back routes. They have two guys who can run routes pretty well. So I like that they incorporated them, or I like that they were incorporated in some fashion. Also, before I get there, one thing I, I've seen a lot now, it's been a couple good games in a, a couple, a few good games in a row for the offense ever since that Giants debacle. And now, now we're getting the, they need to keep Eric Ben and me. They need to keep him. They, the owner needs to tell him this. All right, slow down on that, folks, because here's the thing that you, let's think this out for a minute to see, is this, is that something that a new, that, that somebody would necessarily want? Yes, the offense is starting to get going and you don't want the, I know the whole thing is you don't want to have Sam Howell have to learn another offense. However, you also want him in an offense for a while. And then, so if you're going to do that, if you're Josh Harris and you go by analytics, I'm going to be probably quite sure that the analytics will say you hire an offensive minded head coach. If you do that, do you really think that he's going to say, oh, yes, I'm going to, I'm the new offensive minded head coach here, Eric, here are the keys to your offense. Not a chance. Now, is it possible they'd run the same offense? Is it possible they'd want, they'd want, he'd want him to say, well, sure, anything's possible, but I wouldn't, you know, that's, but that's the thing that you have to let this play out before you start going down the road. The owner has to tell them this, the owner has to do that. No, 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 no. The owner's going to hire the GM, the GM will hire the coach. And then, together or however it would be, I don't know who knows how to be, then you hire your staff. But if you're hiring an offensive minded head coach, that guy's brought being brought here because of his offensive mind, not, you know, so you're not going to bring him in and then say, here, run this be enemy offense. Even if you don't want to, we're going to have you do it. That would make no sense at all. When some of these guys have left here to go become head coaches elsewhere, I remember I talked to him and say, like, are you going to be calling, you know, you about calling plays? Like, well, some of them would say, like, you want to call plays for a couple of years and then bring someone else in because they know how hard it is to do both the play calling and being a head coach. But they would also say the reason why they hired me is because of my ability to call plays. Keep that in mind. Then if you have a head coach that comes in here and they're pretty good, then how could conceivably conceivably be in the same system for a long time? So look big picture with this one, not just like, oh my gosh, they've had three good games in a row. How could they change? It's a long way to go. So slow the roll on that one. Now, of course, if they hire a defensive mind head coach, then, you know, leave it up to the coach. But the point is leave it up to the coach and the owner should not be the one dictating that. Um, that's This becomes a football decision and that his strength is hiring some people who then make football decisions. So just again, slow your roll on that one. <clears throat> but there's some logic behind why you should do that. And that's what I'm trying to provide because it's not as simple as, oh my gosh, they've been doing well for three games. How can they live without this or how they need to do this? Nope. You know, just let it play out and keep in mind, offensive minded head coach will want to run his offense. And there's also, there's, 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 there's no chance that a new head coach is going to come in and then give Bienemy the sort of authority that he has right now. I mean, he's dictate, he's pretty much, dictated their schedule for the entire season from practices during the week, during training camp, all that stuff. And there's just, there's, that's not going to happen. So not with, you know, a new guy's going to kind of want to come in and do his thing, not follow what somebody else does. He has done now, who knows, then it depends on, do they have a relationship? Do they this, blah, 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 let it play out and and don't assume and don't lobby for anything. Let the head coach do it. If you get an offensive minded head coach, that's the guy that's going to be running the offense. Simple as that. So let's get to 
what I want to talk about with the running backs and then Sam Howell's fourth quarter and another good showing for Howell in the fourth quarter and a really good showing overall by the running backs. It combined 11 catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns. Just a really nice job by both Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson, a sign of what they can do, but also what Howell did as well. So it's all kind of intermingled there. Um, some of the development is with, with how just with his eyes and, you know, on the two plays to, to Brian Robinson are an example of that. I mean, both of them were, they're, they're very similar where you get flushed up in the pocket. And on the first one, he's tucks the ball. He's going to, it looks like he's going to run. And then two, two defenders on the outside start to come up but his eyes are still up. He sees Robinson right along the sidelines, just a nice little sidearm pass, probably goes about eight or nine yards. And then Robinson goes untouched from there. It was just a really good job of one guy continuing the route and continuing to basically move away from, from the defense. And then the other guy delivering a really good throw on the run by using his vision. So just, and the second one was very similar to that as well. Gets flushed to his left again and starts to run. Linebacker comes up. Boom, there goes, boom, there's Robinson, right? So that's it's a, that was the 48-yard gain. And I'll tell you what, Curtis Samuel came over and threw, tried to throw a really good block downfield um, just to help him get a few more a few more yards on that play. Unfortunately for them, they only got a field goal out of that possession. And so that you know certainly didn't help them because they could have used those extra four points. But um, that was good. And, and what draws the defense in in those situations is knowing – Listen, that third and 23 run by that Howell had against the Patriots is going to be in the minds of every defensive player in the secondary or linebackers as they go forward. So they're going to come up pretty hard. And the one it was, um, I think it was like, there was, I think it was, a, was it a first and 10? I forget, but I know that you needed 10 yards for a first down. I think it was a first and 10. So they're already coming up pretty hard to get him and it leaves the guy open. So that threat of what he can do on the move, word gets around. Tape gets around, um, and that's so that helps open up some stuff for him, I'm sure. Of those 11 catches, by the way, those combined ones, I'd say three, maybe four, you could say, were design calls. The rest were just either checkdowns or or just the plays I just described, scramble plays where where Howell just kept his, kept his vision, and he does a good job finding one one or both of them at times. You know, I think one of the things that I've liked with the with Howell over the last several weeks, combined only a combined seven sacks, which is a dramatic improvement over what was going on early in the year. And it's one reason why, while he's still on pace to break this uh, the sack record held by David Carr, it's now going to take 17 games for him to get there versus before it would probably take him about 13. Because at one point he was on pace for over 97 sacks, I think. And just after the last three weeks, now it's on pace for just over that. But it's, you know, the, the the percentage is going down and that's a really good sign for him. And some of it, I think you saw here. And the, I think it was, there are definitely times where it's, you wonder, is he leaving that pocket too soon? So I think that's something you have to wonder because there are a couple of times where, you know, maybe you could, you could argue that case. In general, though, you wonder if by him being more aware of that, that yes, sometimes you may leave early. On the other hand, um, it may save you a couple of times from um, maybe some sacks. So I think that's, that's a good thing as well. 
And so I think, you know, that's, that's a positive development for him. And it's why I think that some of those sack numbers are going down. I think he's definitely anticipating a little bit better where that pressure is coming from. And again, sometimes he may not always be right on it exactly, but I think it puts him in the mode of getting out of there when he can, because there have been times in the past when I even talked to some of the coaches about this, where does he always, did he, did he, because I haven't seen this in a while, but did he always look ready to maybe escape? And sometimes you might be a little bit flat footed. And then when the pressure's finally on him, well, now it's too late. And it wasn't, he wasn't quite ready to react the way maybe you'd need to in order to get out of there. So that's, that's something that I think that's been a nice improvement. There are a couple of times where, you know, you weren't like when they, when he got to the running backs that maybe it wasn't the best choice. There's one time he gets flushed to the left. I think he's got John Bates. It could have been like a 10 yard gain. There was a gap. It was, he just sat in a zone area. Instead, he goes to Robinson on the left who gets about one yard. And it just, you know, I think he, I think certainly would have Bates would have been the better choice there. Um, it happens. He had a they, one of the called one, one of the called um, plays was a screen to Robinson Chris Paul does not get his block outside, so ends up only getting, I think, a yard. That's the one thing with Paul is that he's he's stout inside, can move guys, not not as good in space. And on this play, if he if he gets his block, then then Robinson has a chance to get some some pretty good yards out of that. So another one that was in the one in the fourth quarter was a 16-yard gain. And I love this one because whether it's an option route or just or if it's designed just to go inside. What I really like is the the linebacker. So Robinson's coming out of the backfield. There's a couple of things I like here. Robinson coming out of the backfield. First of all, Robinson is a good pass catcher. And you watch him, his hands are really good. And what I like too is the way he's now learning where he has learned to set guys up. And I think you saw that here. Linebacker has outside leverage. Now he's forcing him inside, which is, you know, it's funny because we've talked about this with Jamin Davis before. You these guys, especially, and I think any team, you you want to force them to the outside because that's where it's just you get it over the middle, you have a chance for a big gain, and that's what happened here. And so, you know, the best thing to do is you try to force them outside, but the linebacker's a little bit wide, and Robinson comes up, she creates even more of an opening because of his little move. And, you know, I think that is um, something that um, – was very impressive to just the route and, and you see it. Like I put up, I'm putting up some screenshots of that now, but you see where the get, where, where Robinson comes up on the, on the linebacker and all it takes is a little bit of a, you know, just kind of like, you know, just a little move, you know, boom, boom. And now he's cut to the inside and now he's got five years of separation. Just an excellent, just an excellent job by, um, by Robinson. I also like the patience that, that, that Howell shows on there. Now he's not under complete duress. He, the line does give him time. It's starting to shrink a little bit. But what, this is why I like that, though, because after all the hits and sacks he's taken this year, it has not affected his play in the pocket. It's it's kind of amazing. And, you know, I remember, and again, I'm going to have a story about this later in the week, but I talked to Kurt Warner about, about some of this and just how young quarterbacks, a lot of times you go through the hits and the sacks and all that, and it does affect you and you can speed things up without even realizing it. And are you getting to your drop too soon and just holding the ball too long? Cause you're getting to your drop too soon because you know that, Oh, I've got to speed this up. His attitude was always, and it was hard for a quarterback easier said than done. You got to play the play. So in other words, if the three plays before this 
you get sacked, it doesn't matter on the fourth one. You've got to play that play. You can't you can't let the other ones affect your affect your thought process. Easier said than done. But what I like about Hall is he has not let it affect him in the pocket. He is sta- he still stands in there. He still looks for big plays. I just think he's doing a better job of getting out of there and getting out into the open space where he can really do some damage with his arm and with his legs, you know, it hurts you. So I think that's, but in this play, I like the patience he shows. He waits till Robinson makes the moves, gets out in the open, boom, go. And then, you know, so here's the other thing too. This, this is going to be a couple of things. You, you know, a lot, Percy Butler gets criticized for missing a tackle. And I criticize him too, because you've, and listen, Ron Rivera told us today is like there. I agree with this, that Percy Butler made some nice plays the other day. It was a good help, big help in the run game, except, but the one play he missed was a tackle on Kenneth Walker on that touchdown, the catch and run. You make the play and it's an eight or nine yard gain. You know, first of all, Danny Johnson doesn't slip. It's a five or six yard gain, but then Percy Butler misses the tackle. And unfortunately for him, he, I mean, for the perception of his game, he had been playing pretty well to that point. But he missed that tackle, and you get criticized for it. Well, on this play, it was Devin um, Withers, Devin Witherspoon, who missed the tackle on on Brian Robinson. Witherspoon's one of my was one of my favorite players in the draft, and it was certainly I know people here was one of their favorite players in the draft too. And point is, it happens now. Didn't result in a touchdown on this play for for Washington, whereas it did for Seattle. And, you know, so that's that's the problem. And last week against the Patriots, it also resulted in a touchdown. So that's the difference. But guys miss tackles. And Witherspoon, I'd take him in a heartbeat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our favorite off-season sponsor is back to help you get a jumpstart on your holiday giving. The Adventure Park at Sandy Springs' biggest sale of the year starts November 17th. Save 30% or more on climbing and ziplining gift certificates, season passes, axe-throwing packages, and more. Purchases never expire. This holiday season, give the gift of adventure at the country's largest ropes course and zipline park located right here in Montgomery County, Maryland. Named Best Amusement Park in the DMV two years in a row, this is an opportunity you won't want to miss. The sale starts Friday, November 17th and runs until Christmas Day. The earlier you buy, the bigger the savings. The best deals won't last. Visit www.theadventurepark.com slash today to get early access to the biggest deals. Again, that's www.theadventurepark.com slash kind. And then with Gibson, what I like too um, is he has, there's a third and 13. The one play, there's a third and 13 where you wonder if if Terry McLaurin is open. He's running, and I really like this concept. There was, it was two deep safeties, 
and you have Terry McLaurin is running a deep post from the right side, but you have Curtis Samuel running across and attacking the safety on the other side, right? So they're, the t- safety would, would be on the defense's right side. And that's that by him coming, you know, running almost like a deep over, that takes the safety out of the equation where now McLaurin's got a shot down the field if if Howell can get him the ball. Now he, lo- he appears to be looking down there getting some some penetration inside from in, in the interior from the interior and i that you wonder like did that affect that and prevent him from looking down there instead it's a third and 13 he checks it down to gibson again no sack but that was a chance for if the if the line could have been a little bit more stout in that that was a chance for a big play because the concept was there and it, and it did get him open um another one there's a the third and four where gibson gained 7 yards really a whether or not that was designed to go right to Gibson, um, I don't. I don't know. What I do know is it was an immediate read and and throwing it to him. So, you know, I think just based on the coverage, you could tell that it was going to be man coverage, and it was Jamal Adams was going to be on Gibson, and he was playing back deep, almost like a deep half, not quite. You know, probably about ten to fifteen yards, but that's enough for Gibson to get that seven yards, especially with an immediate throw. Again, another good job by Howell and a good run by by Gibson for the first down. Linebacker blitzes on that play, and um, you know, so that 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 I think, yeah, so that I think you know, you see what you're reading linebacker on the tight end, and it says it, you just knew that it was going to be there, and so it was. Um, another one, there's a third and ten. You have. Oh, this is a third and ten where he gets nine yards, sets up the fourth and one where where he convert where. How converts it with the pass slant to McLaurin, five man rush, fifty three. Um, um, Moye, I'm sorry, Boye Mafe. That name always gives me a hard time, but he's a good player. And so on this one, he runs a stunt to the inside, and How gets pushed to the right, and just a little dump off to to Gibson, who gets nine yards in the play, um, and just you know, good again, good awareness and eyes by How. And good job by Gibson. So the point is, it wasn't like they're sitting there saying, oh, we've got to get the running backs involved in the in the pass game. We've got to do this. Most of the plays were not designed for them. It was just a byproduct of the play itself or the action itself or the pressure he's getting and the checkdowns and getting, you know, giving them a chance to run with the ball as well. I mean, you know, certainly some of those ones are with the eyes. But again, the threat of how running is a real danger for teams. And then... The last one to Gibson was, so again, I said it just with Witherspoon, there's narratives and perceptions that happen when you win or when you lose. And for the Seahawks, you know, I know, like, listen, I've been a big Bobby Wagner fan for a long time. I know people would say, oh, they should get a guy like that. And, you know, ripping on David Mayo. And listen, I, I'm going to, I'm sorry of saying, listen, so pay attention. But with, with Mayo, we all know what he's a backup special teamer who's very good against the run and struggles against the pass. We know that. But guys make mistakes too. And in this one, Bobby Wagner gets burned by Gibson. And Wagner has been a great player for a long time. But the point is it happens. And I'm not comparing Mayo to Wagner, trust me. I'm just telling you that guys make mistakes out there. When you win, it gets it's it's not as glaring as when you lose. And that's the difference in this one, right? But on this one, it was just a really nice job by by Gibson coming out of the backfield, just basically running straight down 
but he uses almost like it's almost like a little I'd say swim move, but maybe it's a doggy paddle move. He just kind of knocks the hands away. But what it does is then he kind of knocks the hand and kind of pops out and creates more space. And Wagner gets a little bit lost. And when and then Gibson catches in catches the ball and then and and Wagner's nowhere near him. So it's an easy touchdown for Gibson. Also on that play play, Howell's getting his arm hit on the play. And I'm like, I watch it time again. It's like, I don't know how he got that off. But he did, and he was didn't he wasn't able to really follow through on the throw, so it makes the throw even more impressive. Initially, I wondered if that ball again been, had been hit. It wasn't, but but it's, it was just so odd. And you go back and watch, and I'm putting some some of the shots up now about that, and it was certainly um, a very very impressive throw because it was he couldn't follow through. So anyway, so the point of all this is that. It wasn't like they went into the game saying, we've got to get the running backs involved. It evolved that way. There were some design calls, and then there were some times where it's like, this is just where you have to go with the ball, whether it's a scramble drill or a check down or whatever. But I think a lot of it highlights Howell's growth because the, 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 some of the big plays result from, again, the ability to get out to, to maneuver. And I also you know, give credit to the pocket too because the pocket – there were times where they're they're creating a pocket where he has options where he can step up and go, or at least enough of a gap in there where you can get out of something. And a lot of that comes back to the interior. If the interior can do a good job being very stout inside, then that gives them more options. And that's why in the offseason, no matter who's here next year, you strengthen that interior by by a good amount, right? So I think that that would be a, a would be a number one priority for me. I know the tackles, right? But I think if you have a shorter quarterback like Sam Howell, you want that strong interior and a guy who can create, who can get out of things. I think you you may want to have that, not not diminishing tackle at all. But I'm just saying I think you want to strengthen that, and and it's it's what I heard all off season about the New Orleans Saints, what they did with Breeze, where they failed to do that here, but they've been doing they've been getting better production out of that. Of the of the interior lately since the changes, and but I think I would continue to bolster that, make it more consistent, and get some guys in here. And that's why, like, listen, in, sec- in the second round, there I said it again. In the second round, there were guys there, a couple guards there that they could have taken Mock or Cyrus Torrance that that certainly would have been able to help and probably be playing right now had they done so, and would be a big part of their future because right now you look at the line like. How many of those guys do you think will be starting there next year? And there's probably not a lot. Um, so anyway, but that's what I do. So build that strong interior for Howell because the size you know, gives them a little bit more room to see, but also because of quickness. You, If you can you get those ends rushing upfield, if you can be pretty good inside, then you can um, you can create gaps for him to get through, whether it's find a passing lane or a little running alley to extend plays. And, and that that's a big help as well. But I think, you know, it's funny because they do do a pretty good job chipping on the ends. And so that's why you wonder, like, will teams start sending, will teams continue to send more pressure inside? And, the, you know, the whole thing with the sacks with Holland, I'm going to get to his play in a minute. The whole thing's with the sacks with him, too. It's great job lately. I'm. It's not just him, too. The pass protection will be challenged. And they're going to be challenged this week against the Giants. 
They're going to be challenged next week against the, the against the Dallas Cowboys. They have the Dallas Cowboys again later in December. They also have, or the, at the end of the season, they also have the San Francisco 49ers who have a good pass rush. They have Aaron, they're going to face Aaron Donald in a few weeks. So there's a lot that they're going to have to, Bradley Chubb. So there's a lot they're going to have to go against to see. And I think this is going to be a great measuring stick down the stretch for where the, for where Hall is at with everything. And that's why I think it's important that he's learning some of these things now, even if, again, he sometimes gets out of there a little bit soon. I, feel, I still think that's, that's okay for him because he's making plays when he does that not just looking to run, he's looking to make a play. And I think that's a, a that's a good thing as well. And that's, again, I go back to the Kurt Warner stuff and like that's one of the things you cannot coach is, is looking downfield to make those big plays. And it's much easier to kind of tame some of them or than it is to build that into somebody. I'll say this, those of you who remember John Beck, this is Sam Holly. He was sacked 10 times against Buffalo. The next week he had 75 checkdowns to Roy Hallou. You don't see that from from how you see a guy still playing his game, just at a, a just at a better pace, and I think that's that's why I think people should be in, that's one, among the reasons people should be encouraged. Anyways, his, some thoughts on the on his fourth quarter. So a couple stats: he has the most touchdown passes in the fourth quarter with six in the NFL. He has the most passing yards in in the fourth quarter. I think it's seven hundred eighty eight. He also has the ninth highest rated quarterback rating in the fourth quarter in the NFL. In two games against the Eagles, he threw for a combined 234 yards in the fourth quarter. He had 109 against Seattle and two touchdowns. Very impressive. I mean, he led two two game-tying scoring drives against against the Seahawks. And if the defense hadn't blown it, then they you know you go to overtime. And I know there's a lot of talk about the two-point conversion. You make it, even if you make it, the Seahawks. They're going to be more aggressive going after because now you have no choice. When it's tied, you can kind of, you know, you take you take your shots, and then you see. Now, some coaches would have gone for it regardless to try and win that game in that situation. But if you're down, you're certainly going to be a lot more aggressive. Um, whatever point is that two point conversion didn't cost them the game. You can talk all you want about should he or should he not? Did you like his explanation? Did you not? Fine. That's fine. But just saying that if they had done it and gone for it, like as opposed to Philly, if they had gone for it and made it, game's over. Same thing in, you know, the New York a few years ago. You go for it, game's over. And and so like in this case, game would not have been over, but a lot of time and it will and the and the Seahawks have been very aggressive, more aggressive than they were. A lot of they they have a lot bigger problems than, than that decision. The other thing I brought up the narrative stuff, and this is how close things get to changing narratives because he's been, Howell's been really good in the fourth quarter. Even in a really good fourth quarter, and even as a guy who's done really well in the fourth quarter, he got away with two throws the other day that would have changed the narrative completely. They were down on the one by a touchdown. He almost throws a pick six. In fact, the defender on, I think it was a defensive back, fakes a blitz, and it was a clear fake. I mean, it was, it was not, you could kind of tell the guy's not coming. It was just a fake but you got to get the ball outside quick. And I think the guy, it got, looks like the guy tips it. If he doesn't, then I think it's a pick six. So it's a good thing that that ball was tipped because the defender covering the receiver was right there and was stepping inside. It would not have been a very pretty situation. And then what, what, then what is said is that like Kirk cousins earned a reputation because those plays were made against him. They were not made against Hal. And so now that's a good thing, but you know, it's just one, but again, it's, that stuff happens. And 
you know, bad plays are come close to happening. It's like a long, long foul ball that misses by a few by a foot for a home run. Hey, in the in the score in in the record books, that pass was an incompletion. In the record books, it's just a it's a foul ball. That's it. And so it didn't it didn't hurt you, but it shows you how close sometimes those narratives are to changing. And there was another one too on the play before the touchdown pass to Deami Brown. Uh, how steps up delivers the ball to um, Byron Pringle. And it was not, it was a high, high throw. He's he's running up. He's not able to set. And so the ball just kind of sails on him. And if it doesn't sail, I wonder if, if the guy on Pringle picks that off, or at least certainly knocks it away. It skips over Pringle's head. And there's a safety back there who has to lunge to his right, who almost makes that play. Does not make it again, long incompletion. Got away, got away with it, but it just shows you how close. It's hard to play this game, and it's hard to be to be really, really good. And I think these are some examples because those plays go against you. Now, now it taints you, but they didn't, and he ended up scoring. On, he ends up throwing a touchdown pass, anyways. I do think, like I said, I think he has. He's doing a better job at feeling the pressure, um, and I think that that will help him in the long run. And I'm curious to see where it goes with all these numbers. Like I said, the sack percentage it's going down. That's a really good thing. If he can get it by the end of the season into that eight range, that bodes well for next year, especially after with what they have coming up. I mean, you're talking about some pretty good pass rushers coming up. Yeah, and some of these plays I went over with the Gibson, with the running back, so I don't need to go over there with all that. I also liked, there was one time with two minutes left, he doesn't force it. I think he understood, you know, he understood time, time and you know, down a distance situation. There's two minutes left. They're around there. I think it was their own 48 and it's um, first and 10 doesn't force the ball. And I think that it's just, that's smart. I remember when, when Gus Farratt first started his game, God bless. If you guys remember Gus watching Gus, you know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but in his first start against Indianapolis, I remember after the, after um, that week, later that week or a few days later, talking to Sonny Jurgensen in the lobby at Reds at, at then was named Redskin Park. And just ask him what some of his, what ask him about Farratt's game, what he thought about. It. He said some of his best throws were incompletions. And I think this one is a result is another example of that. Nobody's there. Could you have forced one? Probably, probably, but you didn't need to. And he didn't, he threw it away. He lived to play another down. It was first and 10 understand down a distance situation, two minutes left, but a, but somebody who gets kind of caught up in, in their, in, in the moment, maybe they try to force it to play hero ball. He knew it didn't have to do with them, and he doesn't do it. Um, I think, again, the protection gave him some gaps and the ability to move up in the pocket. That's a good thing. Um, on the on the, on the the throw to Deami Brown, that's exactly what happened. He had 4.08 seconds to throw that ball. Now, you could say when you first watched the play, it looks like he could have hit his plant step, and you have Deami Brown is on to his left down the field. He's in a zone gap. He could have hit him there. Definitely, but certainly clearly wasn't sure. And it's funny because it almost reminded me a little bit of the, some of the, the, the play, I think where is the, um, is it, I can't remember if it was an interception against Denver or just a knockdown in the red zone, but it was almost, Oh, it was the interception against Arizona and almost against, against Denver. And I don't know if that's in the back of his head because it was a similar, wasn't some, I don't know that it was exact same play, but the, but the drop and the the gap between the the receiver and, and the defensive back or the defender 
was somewhat similar. It, you know, I'm not saying it was the same play. Just I wonder if he was reminded of that a little bit and was a little bit hesitant. But he then makes a tougher throw to Diami and just kind of guides him to a spot. And you have two guys that like they're converge and it just goes right over their hands. But what it does do is intentionally or not or unintentionally, it did give Diami Brown a little more chance to run with it after the catch. If they throw it to him right away initially, he's probably not going to get a lot after the catch. Well, this time he got a touchdown out of it. And so that, you know, obviously is what you want. But apparently there's too much time left on the clock. Um, but a good, but a good another good job again of using um using the time you have because again, they gave him 4.08 seconds on that play and he took advantage of it and he was very patient and then delivers a highly accurate throw in a very clutch situation. Also on that play, one of the things I thought that helped, and I put up a screenshot of of the end of the play where it looks like you know, Leno's um, guy is like right there, right by how that's over four seconds that it took to get there. Part of that reason is because Logan Thomas threw a vicious chip on the guy, knocks him several yards back or to the side. And it gives Leno just that ability to just stay in front of him. And, you know, that if, if, if somehow that had been a, something resulted in a sack or like that, that would not have been on Leno because again, 4.08 seconds, but that's the credit to the line. And there was room there. And it's just a really, really nice pocket. And I think, you know, that's that enabled him to make the throw. Anyways, what I like about Howell in the fourth quarter is that it's, it's everything you like about him elsewhere. But I, when you're in that situation, you have to really understand the down down and distance um, and just knowing how to operate and, and manage the situation. I think he I think he did that pretty well to get away with a couple possible miscues. But again, long just they're just it was just a long strike, man. Didn't didn't hurt him. But sometimes those balls bounce a different way, and and you know another game maybe it does. But he's been playing very well in the fourth quarter, and I just you know you look at it and say why is that? Well, it's all the same reasons that he, that we've seen the eyes stay upfield, the poise in the pocket, all those things translate very well in the fourth, which is why shooting college when he was a freshman he was leading comebacks when he was first starting for for North Carolina. He was leading comebacks against very good college teams because of the poise, the demeanor, his smarts, understanding the down and distance, the situation, and telling coaches like, hey, we're going to come back. Don't worry. Things like that. I mean, that's what – that goes a long way for people. But it's also why that ability to stay, you know, um, uh, stay calm in there and have the ice water in your veins is is a big deal for a quarterback, and he's got that. So I think, you know – Again, you look at shoot the look at the play against Philadelphia to to Jahan Dotson, just a bullet to him, good catch, but just a decisive throw, knowing exactly where he was going to go because of the coverage and who was covering, et cetera. So kid's doing pretty well, man, isn't he? And and I do think that was a good job by the running backs. I think Brian Robinson does a really I think they both do a nice job. And they both I think Antonio Gibson's been playing very well the last couple of weeks. I keep saying, I've been saying this, but it's just a shame that the way the defense is trended, given where the offense is starting to go, it could have been a fun finish. Now, doesn't mean it can't be because you never know. We know that. But it's just that's why the Chicago, the Giants, and those are worse, way worse than what happened Sunday. But because of those games, you need, you really need Sunday. But it's just a shame because the offense is starting to show, to, to show a lot of things that are very good. And can you can build off of, 
And that, that clutch gene in the fourth quarter is a big one for, for, for Howell and for this franchise. Anyways, that's all I got. Remember, 7.30 live stream show Tuesday night with Bram Weinstein, the voice of the commanders. So that's really less than what? It'll be later today when you read, when you listen to this. So anyway, folks, I'll talk to you next time.